0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
1: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind.
3: We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast Tech Time, brought to you by Podcast.com. We live F1. And SummersF1.co.uk, the technical side of Formula One. Today's episode is called, How Did That Happen? I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matthew? Ah, it's going pretty well. How about yourself, Mr. Spanners? Well, I will, I will confess that I am feeling a little squiffy as I spent the afternoon in the pub with friends and family. But since this is a tech time show, I knew the ship was in safe hands.
4: Ah, uh, I see. So we've, we've been having a few at the local pub then.
3: I'm not going to get into numbers or details. All I'm going to say is that I'm glad you're in charge. You're starting to sound like our dear leader over here. And we are getting the same kind of approval rating. Matt, I'm saddened to say that we received our first iTunes one-star review. Oh, no. Did it mention me? No, it didn't. Do you know what? All the good ones did mention you. So I'll start off by saying that across the US and UK iTunes, we've received many, many people are saying this is a good podcast. No, uh, (laughs) we've received loads of great... ...feedback on iTunes, something like 30 reviews. And in the UK sports store, we're actually just off the first page. So I think uh, if we get a little bit more of a push... ...and people could spare the time to write us an iTunes review... ...I think we'll be on the front page of iTunes and the sports section. But we did have a one-star review by Dave Eva Blank. Unless you want to hear fawning all over Hamilton... ...there are many better options for your F1 podcast needs... I would recommend com. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. Although
4: I have to wonder, did he actually or she listen to any of our actual podcasts? Because although we certainly have people who favor Hamilton, we have a fair number who absolutely
3: do not. I was going to say, I tend to get a fair amount of abuse for my uh, for my ham focy fanboy lunaticness. Yes, you do. And usually with
4: good reason. But, you know. But uh, everybody's got a favorite driver. I don't know. It sounds like, to me, a jealous competitor, if you ask.
3: But look, outweighed by uh, by the many great reviews. So once again, thank you very much for that. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent F1 podcast hosted by com. We aim to bring you your race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car, and at work, Matt, we have a great lineup tonight. Absolutely.
4: I'm very excited to have indeed the tech man from Birmingham, Mr. Matthew
3: Sommerfeld himself. Hey, look, look, some people say that there are no interesting people from Birmingham ever. And I agree. I'd like to echo that. But maybe he's not the tech analyst you want, but he is the tech analyst you need. How's it going, Summers? It's really good. Um how you guys and uh, joining us, we've got some backup from your side of the pond as well, Matt. From I forget where Canada, perhaps. Uh, Vortex Mortier, how's it going, Ken?
2: It's going well, thank you. How are you, folks?
3: It's nice to see you. Without your your signature spectacles, Ken, you seem like a much more yeah. attractive prospect.
2: Are Are you out there? Because I cannot see a thing.
3: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead, Matt. I'm gonna hand it over to you and say the big dirty news this week is tech dirty
4: news yep that's right the big dirty news is tech and finally after all of the all of the doldrums of testing and all of the waiting we've seen actual cars on actual tracks and it turns out we have a few small or in the case of mercedes not so small things to discuss isn't that right mr summers
5: it is indeed What a strategy blunder by the Mercedes boys, eh?
4: Indeed. Although after reviewing the evidence, I'm going to have to go back and issue a little apologetic. I had been wholeheartedly in the, how could they possibly have done that camp? But a, a few things have come to light. Number one, I think how much the new suspension or the lack of the new suspension hurt them Number two, I suspect they had about zero actual tire data on the ultra Soft. And number three, and most importantly, I think we all missed that because Mercedes, uh, I mean, you can talk about Red Bull, but I think it's possible Mercedes has the best PR department on the planet. And I know that Bradley Lord won an award for that last season because we completely missed it when we were discussing why they did what they did. I think they were really in the dark and were just making the best guess they could. Now, what did you have to say about that?
5: Yeah, I kind of agree with you there, Matt. The clarification over the suspensions, which obviously has favoured Ferrari, has hindered uh, the two teams that have perhaps got the most advanced uh, suspension, which would be Mercedes and Red Bull. And obviously, there's there's two issues there. Um, there's data, which they have plenty of that from not only the pre-season test, but we also have to remember that those guys also supplied the mule cars to Pirelli. So if they're working from that data set to understand how these tyres operate and have a bit of an advantage over the rest of the field, that's going to obviously have an impact on where they stand if that suspension is suddenly taken away from them. It moves the data points around.
4: Yeah, and and rather a lot. And and this was also something that I thought was interesting. And now it's going to be very important here because what I'm about to say can easily be adopted by the tinfoil hat brigade. But prior to the testing for this year's change in tires, Pirelli's data or their biggest chunk of data came from that uh, rather dubiously legal test they had done with Mercedes. That was the only running with the current car that they had done. Is that more or less right?
5: Yeah, I mean, th- th- yeah. this is the problem, isn't it? And this is the reason why Pirelli have asked for, for much more testing to to happen in season so that they, they can develop their tyres. The problem always is is getting the right data to be able to build the right set of tyres. Um, obviously, when we had Bridgestone and Michelin in in the, what people sometimes refer to as the heyday of Formula One, cars were just trampsing around the world and also back on their test tracks back by their factory so there's much more data to be gained in that era and and now pirelli are really sort of struggling against that problem
4: yeah they are and i think what it led to in the mercedes era was basically tires that worked really well for mercedes as much by happenstance as by design although they were the only ones to go testing for pirelli uh despite the threat of fia sanction. And now Pirelli has data from all three big teams, Red Bull, uh, Ferrari, and indeed Mercedes. But Red Bull and Mercedes data from that test is kind of useless to them because their suspension has changed significantly enough that they can't really trust what they're seeing. And if, 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 as I remember from the race. They were asking Lewis to give them lots of calls about how the tires were doing. That's how nervous they were, and that's how anxious they were. And I think that impacted their thinking as they came up to to their early pit stop. Yeah, Ken.
2: Well, wait, are are you talking about the mule car tests, though, that they did last year in regards to RBR and Mercedes and Ferrari? Cause because those, those weren't all that relevant. I mean, they were able to get the compounds and the structures out and get some running under them, but they didn't really have the levels that they uh, ultimately saw with the current generation cars at Barcelona. So I, I'm not seeing, A, number one, that those were so helpful, except that to put the concepts that Pirelli had come out with to the ground and see whether or not they're how close they are and then number two in regards to the barcelona tests with the current generation cars i don't think mercedes ended up running the ultrasofts very much and and i think i think that's the blind spot that you're alluding to in regards to their strategy that they were uh, became so dependent upon the feedback from the driver. Hey, how's the tire? And and everybody was very much seat of the pants compared to what we've seen in the past in prior strategies. Am I am I off off there? Or
5: well, there's there's two things out of that conversation, isn't there? There's the uh, mule cars, which you have to remember that although that data was shared amongst all of the teams, um, the data realistically. Only really bet has a resemblance to what Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull wanted them to know. They are the ones that own the IP for those cars, so they're not. Everybody else can only discern what they wanted from that from that information. Um, I mean, I've said this before. If I wanted, if I was involved in those tests, I would have made my car handle in a very specific way in order that I knew what that data correlated to, and the rest of the teams didn't. Um, they were there was some FIA. Um, technical directives along with that i do have copies of those technical directives that were run with the uh, mule cars so obviously the, they couldn't just do everything that they wanted um but there was some slack in there for them to to make some alterations so that only they could glean what they wanted from the information um, it's not the be all and end all at the end of the day as you say ken but it has had an impact in my opinion on the way that those cars ran in in australia
4: and and I just want to throw in, uh, from, from my point of view, the difference would be that Red Bull and Mercedes were running with their hydraulic suspension when Pirelli took how they handled on the tires into account and designed them. And now that they're not, not only are Red Bull and Mercedes left chasing data, but it could well be that the tires are not really optimal across all three manufacturers the way they would have been. And if you're a tinfoil hat wearer, you might almost think that they would have wanted to favor anyone but Mercedes anyway, especially with new owners coming in and everyone desperate for someone besides Mercedes to be in the championship hunt. I'm not going to say that happened. I don't think that happened, to be honest with you, but I know it will be said. So there you go. Getting in front of it.
5: Yeah, we'll get the tinfoil hat out again like we did at Christmas.
4: <laughs> that was delightful, wasn't it? all right so but that's not that's not the only problem that mercedes have they've done two things uh first of all they have the longest wheelbase in the field which i think is a bit of a surprise because everyone was saying that was going to be red bull's trick so what's up with that summers
5: well firstly i think that was a mistake by the fia to allow what's happened um the ratio of the car we wanted wider cars everybody wanted to look at a wider car yet the ratio has been allowed to to, change, to to remain as it was before. So all of the teams have simply lengthened the car, um, changing the, the the mere fact of the way that the aero moves around the car. Now, obviously, Mercedes wanted to have this very similar philosophy to they had last year, which is the uh, multi-element sort of front of the floor, front of the wing, front wing, etc. cetera. Um, and obviously they need a particularly long wheelbase to make that effective. And, I believe that's why Mercedes have gone down that route, but obviously it has hurt them in other respects as well,
2: so specifically that would hurt them in regards to um the ability of the chassis to change directions quickly is that Is that the way that that would hurt them or or what are be specific there
5: okay so so these Elements where they have multi elements, they're, they're used to refine the airflow. And obviously, if the tire, we, we've already talked about the tires being not quite in the optimal window to how they want. Um, if those aren't operating as they effectively thought they would do, then that's going to have an impact on the airflow around the car as well itself. So I think we might see some changes from Mercedes in terms of their aero parts around the front wing and the barge boards etc to nullify perhaps the changes they've had to make to the suspension components. But yeah, it's all about field flow around the, the front end of the car and setting up the airflow that meets to the the, the floor and the diffuser. And and that's all about, obviously, making sure that that the airflow goes where you need it to go.
4: Excellent. And the other thing that we've heard about Mercedes that I'm curious about is that they are a little bit on the nearly not
5: fat side, as it were. (laughs) Hey, I resemble that remark. (laughs) (laughs) yeah apparently the five kilograms over overweight so the car weight has gone up this season we're up to 729 kilograms so if the the reports are correct they're obviously up to 734 kilograms now you obviously want to be as close to that weight limit as you possibly can in fact you want to be under it by quite a margin so that you have the ballast to play around with and if we believe which i don't christian horner um he said that he's not using the HPC suspension because it's too heavy. So there's a lot of wordplay going on uh, early on in the the season in terms of this. And obviously we've also heard about Sergio Perez having to lose weight to get the Force India close to the weight limit as well. So weight's always an issue because it means that you're losing performance. That five kilograms is about two-tenths of a second per lap.
3: See, we talk about this a lot with karting summers. We're talking about, like, what effect does the weight really have? And I was trying to say, well, maybe that extra stone or so, you know, gives me more grip and more downforce and more mechanical grip. But I suppose in reality, it just means the tyres are working harder on the corners. The brakes are working harder. You know, even if you've got that available power, it's, it's slowing down into the corners as well that where you'll suffer.
5: It's not only that. In terms of karting, it isn't so much of an issue with weights. The yes. problem with... Uh, Formula One is downforce, so all the time that you're putting on more more weight, you're having to accelerate that weight through the corner, and that means you need more downforce to achieve the same goal. So take that five kilograms away from Mercedes, and obviously they'll be able to accelerate the car through the corner that little bit much more quicker. So yeah, it's it's a difficult one for Mercedes. They'll certainly need to trim that fat.
3: So you're saying that this is a problem Mercedes and Force India are having, but perhaps not Ferrari. They're direct championship competitor
5: it's a possibility we we don't know what the cars weigh that we don't have that information but from reports that have come out mercedes are over by five kilograms and we know that perez has been put under pressure to lose a little weight in order to, to help force india so there 's two markers in the sand we don 't know where everybody else is. The
3: thing is Okan is lucky he 's twelve because he 's about eight foot tall when he gets some man weight there, some life around the middle he 's going to be you know in a potentially very
5: difficult situation yeah he he's rather tall that was that 's Hulkenberg's problem and and that 's something that should really be addressed within the regulations more more accurately he's sorting sorting out the weight issue for drivers because there 's such a difference between say you're uh, the, the smaller drivers versus the Hulkenbergs the and the Occons of the world.
4: Yeah, that would be that would be almost a smart and forward looking thing for them to do <laughs> to equalize the pilot's weight as part of the overall weight that the car was allowed to have. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll think of it now that Ross Braun is in charge. But I had read, I used to do um, look at fuel effect calculations. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was around three tenths for every 10 kilograms of weight in terms of lap time is what I remembered. Is that more or less correct
5: i think it depends on the era of the car that we're looking at to be honest because you have to remember how much more weight we've got on this car anyway so the figures are going to differentiate the figures that you you're talking about when we were doing um fuel saving the cars weighed a lot less in the first place so that the diff there'll be a delta between the those times
2: so yeah and, and matt that's a that's a great question and i'm gonna um I'm going to waffle on that as well, because I, I don't know off the top of my head. But what I, I, I do know is that that is going to be circuit dependent. And so you you may be in the right ballpark as to what the penalty is. But um, I mean, it's important to remember, you know, to to expand on Summer's point that additional weight, um, it hurts performance, not just in um, corner speed, as far as whatever downforce you have, you're having to work that much extra weight to keep that at um attached to the track or keep keep the grip there but in addition it's going to affect braking uh you have more weight to slow down so that means your braking point is going to come back a little bit another uh meter or so that a driver has to be on the brakes and also it affects the rate of acceleration as well i mean it's a, it's all it's all ratios but it's a critical component to the performance
4: yeah, in fact, in the uh, comments, Matthew Graff is calling for Liberty to open up some of this card data to those of us who are enthusiasts, so we can have a better idea of what the teams are really up to. Do you think that
5: would fly? Honestly, no, um, because the teams are so secretive; um, they don't they don't want the data being shared amongst the other teams. That's the problem, you know. So allowing it into the 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 free stream is just a problem to them in terms of their competitors. It gives them gives up some of their advantage, effectively allows their competitors to know where they stand.
4: Well, then could that not be a good thing for the sport? I mean, I'm I'm not talking about data that they collect themselves, but stuff like when the cars get weighed, how much the cars weighed when they go through scrutineering, that sort of data. Shouldn't that be open to all the fans?
5: Yeah, I mean, we've had that situation before back in 2009 when the fuel was part of the equation as such. They, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon, they'd tell us how much weight uh, the car was at the Weybridge, so we knew how much fuel they'd got on board um, So and how much fuel they'd qualified. So it's a possibility. Um, I'm just not sure how trans- transparent the FIA wants to be. That, that's the, the overall effect, really.
3: Matt, I'm just going to interrupt you to say a big thank you to the patrons of Missed Apex Podcast. This show is literally funded, paid for, and brought to you by the patrons. Uh, and Matt, you and me, we have a serious risk of losing our day jobs because of how good the Slack group has been that we put on for our patrons.
4: It's really tragically good. Uh... I'll I'll stop and have a look and there'll be three hundred comments in there <laughs> on fascinating discussions, not just Formula One, but all 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 aspects of life get covered in the Slack group. Yeah. And in an amusing and and helpful way.
3: Yeah, there's lots of different threads in there. So imagine it like uh, a place where seven or eight different WhatsApp groups and streams that you can choose to be a part of or not are in. And it's been a fantastic time. So all our patrons that support us at Patreon.com. It's not forward slash Missed Apex. Oh, no, I think it's forward slash map. But anyway... Uh, go on Patreon.com and search Miss Apex Podcast. Uh, everyone who supports us on there is in that Slack group. And I just want to say a great thanks to you guys and a great thanks to the guys who join the chat room regularly now, Matt, because we regularly have uh, like 30 odd people live chatting in our YouTube stream.
4: Yes, and they they offer a lot to the show and they offer a lot to each other. There's a fascinating discussions that go on within just the chat. So please stop by and check it out.
3: Excellent. I'll uh, I'll leave you to
4: keep talking about technology. Indeed. So uh, unless anyone else has anything specific to Mercedes, now might be a good time to go on to talk about the biggest catastrophe, of the race that wasn't named Marcus Ericsson. And that would be Roman, Romain Grosjean's utter disaster when his car gave up the ghost.
5: Yeah, which was so painful to see because he'd made such good progress during qualifying and, and was making headway in the race as well. And it was actually a water leak that, that caused the, the problem um, and, and obviously something that can't kind of, um, you, there's nobody to blame for, I suppose. It's one of those technicalities that can just appear out of nowhere. Um, it, it's not like uh, you can blame Renault for argument's sake or Ferrari or Mercedes. It's, it's something that's, that's been brought on by um, just a failure.
4: Yeah, uh, but to me the the interesting thing is number 1 the performance differential between him and Magnussen was was pretty epic. It was one of the two biggest performance differentials we saw. But also, they've got the Ferrari engine and it, it is looking to be like a really proper competitor to the Mercedes engine, especially with the uh, change in the aero regulations.
5: Yeah, and I think It's partly because Ferrari have followed the path that Mercedes have set. Obviously, they haven't gone completely down the same pathway in terms of the split turbo, but they have followed in terms of um, turbulent jet ignition. They're working with Marl in terms of the way that their combustion um, and everything else works around the internal combustion engine. Um, So, it's again, it's a, a race between the partners. This was all kicked off with how integrated mercedes hpp was with petronas um, when we first came into this formula in 2014 and it appears that ferrari is starting to make strides with their partner with marl and and, and the products that they supply and and develop with uh, ferrari
2: mm.
5: so 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 i'm sorry it seems
2: like then the uh, the challenge still for ferrari they're they're stout on sunday as far as the power plan is concerned and and a Ferrari chassis obviously but we're talking about Haas is the um the qualifying strength um and that was one of their goals is to try to match what the Mercedes power plant was able to do in qualifying mode it looks like they may have a little bit more work there to do but um could be a great season given that those two power plants are running at very similar uh output levels apparently on
5: sundays yeah but we also have to remember the problems that mercedes had in pre-season testing towards the end of the test they, they they finished early um and they they ran into issues now we don't know the exact ins and outs of what those issues were but it is related to performance and longevity and we're wondering now whether they can actually run the qualifying modes that they have in the past um that could be part of the reason why we've seen this closing of the of the two um in, in terms of qualifying, whether that's something to do with the lubricants that are being run, because obviously we we know the problem that had in them in last season, um we, we in that respect as well. So I don't think we're all down to, to Ferrari. I think there might be a little bit of a, a falling back perhaps from the Mercedes side of things. Um yeah, I, I think we we've kind of seen a convergence
4: well, at a certain point, there's only marginal gains Mercedes is going to be able to make. And Ferrari had more room for improvement. And they, they they were up to the task. I have to hand it to them. It did not look like this a year ago. A year ago, you were thinking, oh, man, <laughs> it's just going to keep on being a disaster. But I'm also delighted for Haas because they have gone very much their own way this point with the rest of the car and i'm also hearing that the uh delara chassis is is really one of the better ones currently parked in the paddock
5: yeah i mean delara built the chassis they don't design it um it's still a harsh design uh obviously the original design was a co- collaboration between ferrari and haas but this time around it's a it's fully a haas design um and they just send that off for Delara for construction they will have some inputs i would imagine into some of the design aspect of the chassis but predominantly it's ip created by haas that's fascinating actually
3: i hadn't really thought about it like that it's a bit like when you sort of order your mug and you send it over to the company uh, to have it made so it's a bit of a collaboration they'll say what they want and Delara will say you know well, that that's that might be possible. This might not be possible. What compromises would you like to make based on the feedback we've given to your design? So that's fascinating. When you say it's a Delara chassis, I've just got in my head. Oh, someone someone else makes their chassis.
5: No, they, they could they could ask Delara to build the chassis. The regulations permit that, um, but they don't. It's Haas IP, and and it's Delara that build it for them because they don't have the construction um, within their realm. So they, they they part that out to to another company.
3: Summers, yes. SummersF1.co.uk. Thank you once again for bringing some tech class to this Apex podcast. Uh, now, you do some tech analysis for motorsport.com, uh, but you also have your, your own blog at summers.co, SummersF1.co.uk. And I, I love it when you just sort of have that freedom on your site when you do your personal blogs. I mean, they're long. Don't get me wrong, they're long. Sometimes I skip through to a word I recognise. Uh, but thats I think that's when we see the best of you sometimes.
5: Yeah, I, it is a difficult one to, to do, isn't it? Because I am reined in. Uh, when I've worked for others in the past, you have to consider the type of readership that are wanting to... to to put their time and effort into to my stuff um and obviously when i'm on my own blog i don't have to make that consideration this are these are my thoughts and i will say what i want <laughs> I, I
3: can absolutely relate to that because i've done a couple of client podcasts and you know very serious subjects sometimes like health and things and, and they say something and you go i have got the most amazing joke but i've just gotta i've gotta rein it in and and wait for something that's that's
5: truly my own product that's it. say it, it's such a difficult balancing act because some of the, the work that I do with com and some of the other sites I've worked with in the past, you just want to carry on and explore what you're talking about. But, you know, you have to kind of rein it in and keep it simple. Cheers, Summers. We love you.
4: Absolutely. And the chat room is asking when you're going to offer a custom chassis from Mist Apex there, Spanners.
3: I mean, it will mostly be the shape of my Peugeot 2008 because I like comfort. That's what I'm built for.
4: (laughs) All right, then. Well, if anyone, uh, unless there's anything else on Oz, we should probably talk about the Renault power unit and Red Bull Renault and Toro Rosso, because it appears that the quick fix is getting less quick by the second.
5: Yeah, and I, I fear it's to do with a collaboration that's happened down at Viri with the Infinity Group. So obviously, Infinity have come on board and Viri and Infinity have decided... Sorry, Viri is the place where uh, Renault are housed in France for Spanners and the rest of the podcast. Um, so Viri and Infinity, they're, they've collaborated on the new design. And basically, they've decided they're going to build some of the components in-house, that means that then they have control over the, the quality and the performance of those components. But unfortunately, it appears that they've had some problems with the quality and the performance of those components. So they've had to switch back to last year's MGUK, which wasn't supplied by those guys. It was supplied by an out-of-house out, out, out supplier, um, which has obviously meant that they can't quite do what they wanted to do with the M- MG UK, for starters at least. Um, and they obviously have some other remedial issues as well going going around the rest of the power unit
4: right and and that that larger fix the big step they're looking for that's not going to show up till canada now is that that correct
5: that's what i'm being told um which kind of syncs with where they might be at in terms of the allocation uh because we must remember that they can only have four power units this season so in terms of usage um canada strikes me as a as a good stopping position for for the units as such as long as they don't have an abundance of values in between
4: yeah and and the other thing is and 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 then i'll let ken jump in is is in the case of red bull particularly it's not just the engine that chassis needs some help and unlike previous years they're actually willing to admit it so what do you think of that ken
2: um well <laughs> So Nui does uh, clever things, and Summers can speak more authoritatively on this. But I, <clears throat> I, I, I empathize with the challenge that Red Bull had in setting up that new chassis, just because it was the aerodynamics of that were tied into how the suspension system worked, and so system that they had designed that uh, the suspension system that they had designed that around. To uh, get the arrow to, to work at its best, um, they had to change horses midstream, and that's a difficult thing. And and setting up one of these cars is incredibly complex. So um, perhaps we should not be too surprised that um, the drivers are saying that it's um, it was a handful to get the setup right and a, a challenge to drive, but. Um, And I'll I'll let Summers um, expand on that a little bit more authoritatively. But I just wanted to ask, though, a little bit about the the MGUK situation on that. What what is Do you have an idea as to what the penalty might be in performance, say, in lap time or however, whatever other metric that they're suffering from with that?
5: Well, if we listen to Christian Horner, in totality, they're losing about 50 horsepower to Ferrari and Mercedes. Um, I'm not quite sure you can put that kind of number on on it, to be fair. And as we know, it's all very circuit dependent. So the MG UK's role in providing power to the entire power unit is 160 horsepower. Now, it's, is it always supplying 160 horsepower? It's not always doing that. So it's 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 all relative at the end of the day. Um, so it comes down to how hard can they drive the MG UK uh, for, for those periods of time as well. And they might just be losing a few horsepower here and there, but it's all adding up to lap time they're losing, uh, be it qualifying or the race.
3: Hey, some yeah. a slight tangent from the chat room. James Funnel, who I know for a fact should be studying for a maths exam, young sir, says, I think that Newey gets too much praise. He is one person... As part of a massive team. So with that fifty horsepower or whatever deficit, people are always talking about, well, they've got the aero to make up for it in the corners. But you know, the the, the, the Lord of Whispers that's been whispering in my little ear, and your sources are probably better than mine, say that this is really the least involved Adrian Newey has been in an aero uh, development plan out of, you
5: know, out of the whole time in Red Bull. Yeah, well, that, that's an obvious thing in reality because he stepped away from the sport. You know, they've got him involved in other facets Um they're, they're working with um, in, in yachting and all sorts of other areas where Adrian wanted to impress on his sort of aero style. So he did step away from, from Red Bull. And you have very good people at Red Bull anyway. Dan Fallows is... Uh, head of Aerodynamics. You've got Rod Marshall down there. You know, there's key personnel that are still at Red Bull Racing that have been there for ten years, perhaps. Um, so it's not all about Nui, uh, as as just been mentioned. But obviously, it it all falls onto Nui because he is what most determined to be an aero guru, and you know he he is in reality. Uh, unfortunately, there's no stepping away from that. And if Red Bull haven't got him fully on side then that that's that's unfortunate. Um, but he could have been at Ferrari. Ferrari did try to poach him. And that's why they allowed him to step away from, from Red Bull and, and work on other projects as well. Right.
4: So we have a quick question from the chat room about Mercedes-Benz. And I know that Ferrari requested two things from the FIA. One was suspension. The other one was the oil. And Ian Caldwell would like to know, is has Mercedes Benz engine been affected by that oil usage um, inquiry?
5: Well, Mercedes are saying no; they're not being affected by it, and it was all just a ploy from Red Bull to to arrange something that was never going to happen. Um, but you have to say that in qualifying mode, there were a leak beyond everybody else, and you can use or burn oil to make horsepower. So it is a possibility that they've lost some performance in that respect. Um, But nobody will actually go on record and and make that that statement. I have tried, believe me.
4: I do believe you. Well, I had a question of my own, and that, that, that revolved around the Toro Rosso, actually, because I was fascinated to see the new member of their pit crew wandering around with a giant bottle on his back, waiting to refill the um, pneumatic system of the car and i i know i we've we've seen it before Our cars have to pit for this reason but is that going to be a normal part of their pit stops or or is that guy there just in case something starts to
5: leak he's there just in case something's about to leak um, the, all of the teams have them at ready and steady but um, I I have a feeling that Toro Rosso have realized that there might be somewhat of an issue in some of the modes that they have to run for a race in terms of having to top this up on occasion Uh, and that's why we saw the Ghostbuster pack uh, in the pit lane.
4: Absolutely and now what exactly is that system used for 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 our listeners who aren't as OCD in their devotion to tech if I can say that offending anybody?
5: Okay, so a pneumatic valve system was bought into F1 about a decade ago. It was actually, well, it was bought. It was, it's been used predominantly in F1 for the last decade. It was bought in at the end of the last turbo generation by Renault themselves. Um, So it's been around for a very long time. Um, But basically, it's all to do with the valves and the way that the valves operate um, under extreme usage a spring and collet wasn't good enough so they decided to change to the pneumatic system which is obviously driven by by an air system um and that's what the top-up procedure is all about is keeping pressure in the system uh so that the, the valves operate
4: it would probably be bad if the valve stopped operating i'm
5: guessing it certainly would. you would be a failure
4: <laughs> all right well let's move on and have a brief chat about williams because Felipe Massa looked very, very lonely out on track. Is there going to be anybody for him to race with by time we get to the end of the season?
5: Yeah, I think so. I I, I kind of think that Williams uh, might be a step ahead of some of the opposition at the moment, but in terms of development, I I certainly see Force India coming back onto the back of the Williams, um, especially as we've seen, they tend to come with a weaker car at the start of the season and, Focus a lot of development at stages. So Barcelona will see quite a big update from Force India rather than the sort of race by race uh, upgrade packages that we see from the big teams like your, Force, uh, your Ferraris, Mercedes and Red Bulls who who really have the, the budget to be able to put that development in each Grand Prix.
4: And at the same time, we've seen them change their Color and I believe we've just about seen the last of VJ Malia. So, what does this portend for Force India? Because as I look back, what I see is sometimes they would show up with a strong car at the beginning and try and make it last a whole season. Then they would start with that car, and then halfway through the next season, they would show up with a big update. It seems like they're sort of playing uh, a longer than yearly development cycle to take advantage of when prize money and so forth gets handed to them so they can stay on top of their suppliers
5: i think the biggest change for force india of late um well it's actually two years ago now but that's how time flies in formula one was the switch to their away from their own wind and tunnel to the wind tunnel in cologne um, of toyota's and that's had a massive impact on the way in which force, force india are able to operate because a lot of their staff have had to move out to the, the Cologne tunnel to be able to work on the on on the aero updates um, is sort of an isolated situation, um, and I, I think that's had quite a, an impact on the way that they're working now at sixty percent rather than a pretend fifty percent because their tunnel was actually so poor um, it was actually at the same tunnel that Jordan used and how many iterations have we had of that team since then? Um, so yeah, I think from a from that perspective it's a case of just force india making leaps towards the other teams um in, in terms of development banners yo are you covering honda
3: a bit later matt uh i have number five honda shake and bake
4: so yes we will be talking about honda oh, a that's bit okay later.
3: yeah it's just the chat room are asking and if you want to join the people in the chat room why not find my channel on youtube by searching for Spanners Ready. If you can't find it there, go to mistapexpodcast.com Apex forward slash live stream and the link is there. Come join in the fun. Also, while you're at it, why not find us on other places in social media? Join the Facebook group by searching Mist Apex Podcast on Facebook and find us on Twitter by following me at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. Follow me, everyone. Look at me. Or Mist Apex F1 and Matt PT 55.
4: Indeed. Now I'm also going to kind of answer my own question about Williams by pointing out that Grosjean got axed out of the race and he was, he would have been Mass's closest competitor until that happened. So if Haas can stay on top of development, they may also be in there with Force India, making those spots a little more interesting to watch. But of course, everybody really wants to know what's the story with Honda. So, what is the story with Honda? Their upshift sounded like someone dropped a bag of screws <laughs> into a vacuum
0: cleaner. So, this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So what's going on there?
5: (laughs) Well, I had what was called a grass gobbler when I was growing up. And that's exactly (laughs) what the McLaren sounds like. It sounds like a bag of rice inside of a tumble dryer.
3: We have got a chat room theory from Evangelos he's from greece he says Maconda vibrations disturb the space-time continuum that's why they look slow relevant rev hang on relative hang on i can do this relativistically to our frame of reference to me that sounds like legit science
5: <laughs> yeah they've built a time machine
3: Back to the 1960s.
5: If the if they had, they'd have have gone back and got the MP44 and been competing with that.
3: I've got to just say that's winning comment of the week at the moment. But I do not want to say it again. So somebody say something hilarious between now and the end of the show, please. Uh,
4: Nobody do that. I just want to. It's much more entertaining to listen to him try and say that again. So everybody, boring comments from now on, please. All right. So this is the thing for me that it's clear that the vibrations, the engine are suffering. Didn't show up when they tested it, but not until they put it into the car. And if I'm understanding correctly, that's because at that point, the engine becomes a stressed part of the car, essentially part of the suspension. And as such, it's subject to being vibrated or being resonated at different frequencies than they would have seen on the test bench. And I know we talked a bit about harmonic resonance with tires last year, so are we seeing a variation of that same thing playing out with the Honda engine?
5: Yeah, pretty much, unfortunately. And it's having a major impact on the gearbox. So they're having to short shift and long shift and they're losing power because they're having to hold on to the revs. And it's really a, a quite an interesting problem to have. And I, I was quite surprised at the pace that, hot, that uh Alonso was able to manage during qualifying if I'm being honest um, just purely because of all those problems but just backtracking slightly uh, there's several things that need to be talked about in respect to the Honda power unit and it's the way in which that the management of making those power units differs to the other manufacturers. Um, Honda sort of have these insular ideas Um, they they don't they're they're only using their own people. Um, they've been forced by McLaren in recent times to to develop relationships with people that are not part of the, the, the main Honda brigade as such. Um, and, and that's problematic because it's almost forcing McLaren's will onto Honda as well, which kind of stresses their relationship. One of the main problems that I understand that they've had is that firstly they work with a sing- single cylinder concept to start with all of the manufacturers do this Um when mercedes and ferrari first started to build their power units they suffered with the same issues that mclaren now have or honda now have in terms of vibrations because when they actually take it from a single c- cylinder concept and build a full-scale internal combustion unit you have problems in terms of the way that the cylinders operate with one another um, and in terms of the combustion stroke and that's part of the problem Honda only work on their own test benches they don't have a chassis dynamometer as we've talked about on tech time in the past is quite important and Mercedes started this hybrid era with one and Ferrari and Renault or through Red Bull now have their own as well. And it's quite important in understanding how everything works in terms of the power unit when it's plugged into the chassis.
4: And that does put them rather far behind. But my question is, given the way that resonance works, is this something that they'll be able to attenuate rather than suppress altogether? Because all engines vibrate and all engines have resonance. So this can't be an entirely unfamiliar problem for them to have to solve.
3: And before, and also, Sorry, mate. <laughs> so I just want to say before Summers answers that, I just want to say if you're a listener sat at home and you're thinking, wow, I need to go back and listen to all of that again a couple of times. You're not alone. Like that sounded like complete garbage. But I do find that when I listen back, it slowly starts to sink in and I get the summonness infused into my brain.
5: Sometimes I must remember to try and speak more slowly. <laughs> just remember, Spanners is listening to this. <laughs> I'm just trying to get my point across quickly because there is so much ground to cover. That, that That's the, the real problem. There is so much to talk about in terms of the Honda. No, and no. Yes, sir, Yes, Matt, you're right in terms of resolving this problem. Ferrari had this problem in 2014. They took it into 2014 and the way they dealt with it is in a very similar way to, to what you're talking about is that they had to manage the situation and it's something that McLaren and Honda are going to have to work together on to, 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 to resolve and they're starting to do that. I think that's why they, they seem to have better pacing in Australia because they've realised what the problem is and they're already starting to address the problems.
2: So just real quick, you know, um, looking back at Renault, suffered a similar challenge i guess we could say right you know with uh, red bull in uh, 2014 and and red bull took it upon themselves to get one of these chassis dynamometers or virtual trust tra- test tracks or whatnot right you know and um but i believe that took quite a while for them to procure um, as you it's it's a big thing and you need to um, build a facility prepped specifically around such a thing so that's a matter of many months is the impression I got given that Red Bull um, are rolling in money from selling um, fizzy sugar water after all that that wasn't a budget issue there was time constraints on that so this in other words, coming to right now for McLaren is a very bad situation and that the testing that they have to do then means essentially what? Friday practice. Essentially, if they get a new concept engine that they can mount in that car, they'll have to test it on the track. Then. And am I reading that correctly?
5: Yeah, Um Basically, there's a couple of things there. AVL are the the manufacturers of these sort of uh, VTTs or uh, chassis dynamometers that we're talking about. And they are an expensive piece of kit. Um, they are a long lead time. It's not something that's just on the shelf. Oh, I want one of those. I'm going to go and buy one. So, you know, the, that's where the lead times come from. And the thing with Red Bull was that they were in a very difficult situation at that time because they'd almost fell out with Renault. Um, to the point that they were actually thinking of switching to Mercedes. And obviously, we all know what happened there. And now we find that Honda and McLaren's relationship is almost on the brink as well. So McLaren are also in this situation. Do they go out and buy an AVL unit? Do Honda go out and buy an AVL unit? Do they just go and switch uh, power unit suppliers? You know, it's a very difficult argument to make
3: banners yo just some chat room comments summers would you mind taking a few quick questions because uh, gary gerhard says please let honda fix this uh stuff he says he said stuff and get some podiums it's such a waste of alonso's career uh Othnell says alonso made his bed and blackout suggests that alonso has actually nowhere else to go but the question from ian caldwell is if honda were to resolve the vibration issue how close are they to you know mercedes Ferrari, etc.
5: Well, that's a difficult question to answer because by resolving the, the issue, the harmonics issue, they're going to have to lose performance. The, there's no two ways about it. They're having to work around the problem. If let's just imagine that the, the problem didn't exist, then I think they would be relatively close and somewhere around the sort of Renault power.
3: Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, you're aware that there's been a guy on Reddit who's claiming to be a Honda engineer, and he's saying, "Oh yes, uh, we've seen. I've seen the bench testing and the performance of the Honda engine is amazing. If only we could just fix this reliability." And and this is what you know. He might, you know, I, apparently he's speaking in a second language. But as an engineer myself and someone who works in development on complex electronic systems, I do get the suspicion that he's not either not communicating well. Or he's not talking like an engineer, because reliability has to be part of the design process. Without reliability, you actually don't have performance. So it seems a bit ridiculous for someone to claim, no, no, we've got this great performance, we've just got to make it survive contact with reality. Well, I'm sorry, but when you do make it survive contact with, with, with reality, you don't know what you're going to have to change. And the things you change may fundamentally affect the performance you thought you had. Basically, your performance was a red herring.
5: Yeah, exactly. That's
2: a, that's a big assumption, though. I mean, you, you raise a great point, and you know, speaking of somebody who works with engineers as an engineer in an engineering company, I I appreciate what you're saying, but you're presuming that the fix means that they're going to suffer in performance, and and that's a likelihood, but that's an unknown too as well. So um, it's it's hard to say which way that goes, but that's that's a good idea for all mclaren honda fans to keep in mind that they may suffer
1: well
4: i'm curious because if you don't design the engine to have the capacity to produce the power that your competitors have you don't have a chance reliability or not so to me fundamentally the design has to include the capacity for getting close to the people you're trying to race.
3: Yeah, but you can't, you can't do reliability as an afterthought. It has to be an integral part of the design at, at every single step. I mean, you, you yeah, only have to look at how the other arms of the design have to work. You only have to look at Formula E and when they had to change the back wing of Lucas Grassi's car and the mechanics had no idea how to whip that back wing off quickly. Even things like replacing and maintainability, maintainability have to run alongside just the pure design of the power so no you can't just say that i i I honestly think it has to be integral
4: reliability yeah if the engine doesn't run at all it's pointless but we know the engine is run we know it's been run on a test bench the reliability issues they're suffering come from according to this reddit post because they've followed too many disparate ideas and not done enough in-depth testing on the ones they are using and and that was my understanding but I don't think, uh, although I'm not an engineer, nor do I pretend to be one, well, except for on this show, of course, um, I don't think that disqualifies what he's saying as much as he's saying it in the vernacular and not in engineering speak, not only because it's sure, not his yeah. language. He, he could be dumbing it
3: down for Reddit, f-
5: for sure.
4: Anyway, but I think Summers wanted to jump in, and then I had a completely different thing that I wanted to ask about before we got off of Honda altogether.
5: Um, well, yeah, I just wanted to say that basically um, you have to consider reliability. It, it is a f- major factor in terms of the usability of the power units over over the season. So now we're down to four power units. Next year, we're down to three power units. It's going to be a major consideration. And I understand where you're coming from, Matt. You do need to be able to push beyond the limits of somebody that's already the, at the top. But at least get somewhere near them uh, with, with the power you know, that that's that's the problem. Uh, it, it, it's a very fine line to tread, unfortunately. And Honda seem to always go for the most aggressive solution. You know, the reason they're in the trouble they're in now is because they went with the most aggressive version to beat Mercedes in the first place. Oh, let's try and put a turbo right between the V, not pancake at either end. And from an engineering perspective and being able to get the power from the turbo, it was never on. It was never gonna work. But they felt that 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 was the way to go. They had to find something that could beat Mercedes straight away.
4: Yeah, I guess uh the point I was making is they could have designed a reliable engine that put out four hundred fifty brake horsepower and they would have been nowhere. They had to at least design something that would put them in the ballpark, even at the potential cost of reliability. I, you know. As my wife is fond of saying, "Good, fast, cheap, pick two, fast was on the thing, and then for them it was either power or reliability, and is power fast reliability pick two they went with power and fast reliability was you know because that's that 's real world, you have to prioritize things
2: well yeah you know, i and i just want I just want to agree with you real quick there and i, I don 't think it's safe to assume that um based upon the 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 little post that is probably from an engineer at Honda R&D that they didn't um, take into account reliability. I, I think, as you say, Matt, they're, um, they were pushed into a high creative mode, and the most important thing was the um, well. Ultimately, it's all about lap time, and that they had to to make the power figures, and and it is a, a more of a horsepower formula currently so they they went full creativity to to reach that and and i'm it we got to remember that these are essentially prototype cars and there are the stipulations that the motors you know you're limited to four per season and so the reliability factors are in there for a very specific reason because if they if you were limited to four per weekend the cost would be astronomical right you know so that was part of the the reason for that to keep costs under control and so from a design engineering point it it makes the motor heavier you have to design for for all those things but at the same time rapid prototyping super creative like you say matt that that is the way they had to go
3: banners yeah just before you uh, move on to ferrari ross Braun, etc and wrap the show up i would like if you don't mind to teach people how to call in to Missed Apex Podcast? Well, they've got to turn the phone on.
1: Think, you think that it's weak of me hey, I'm looking for sympathy Turn your phone on Where's your ringtone? I tried to call you Because you said that you would be home
3: pretty simple to call into missed apex podcast especially on race review where we desperately want your opinions and talking points from the race so all you need to do is go onto skype and add spanners ready i'll accept every single contact request when you feel like calling in call in i will completely ignore you but i will know you are waiting for my attention and when there is an opportune moment i will add you back into the group call and we'll hear from you all you need is the skype app and uh one of those headphone leads with the inline mics and that will do Uh, we may take your question off air we we may explore it in greater depth with you but we really really want to hear from you back to you trumpets
4: all right well i had planned to ask summers a very complicated technical question about attenuating harmonic resonance because you know in my spare time i am kind of a musician and i have experimented with mass and weight. And there are lots of interesting tricks you can do, depending upon where there are certain holes interrupting things. And you mentioned they absolutely would have to lose performance. But I'm wondering if it's if it would not have been possible using a combination of substance and redesign to, to properly deal with the issue so that the resonance doesn't interfere with the basic performance of the engine in the way that it is now in terms of creating these vibrations. Cause clearly what's happening is you're getting acoustic peaks that are reinforcing each other from the engine and from the suspension from the outside coming in.
5: Yeah. I mean, again, there's always ways around these things. It's how much lead time you have to deal with the problem. You know, they've had since the first preseason test really to, to understand what was going on and try to put fixes in place but we have to remember that all of the fixing points on on an F1 car in terms of where the power unit fixes to the car are now mandated. So, you know, you you are limited in some respects in terms of the placement of the power unit, but there are obviously other ways around that, as you've just mentioned, Matt.
4: Right. Okay. So there's two other Honda things to mention. One of which is that it's been rumored that Mario Iliant has been spotted there or thereabouts. Have we heard anything definitive and will that make any difference, do you think?
5: Well, I haven't heard any definitive, but I have heard the same same thing. Ilian's no longer working at with uh, Renault, um, Red Bull, or Viri, or you know the, the Renault lot as such. So he is able to contract with others, um, and he has the knowledge of what he knew from from uh, going on at Renault. Uh, so he may be able to offer some assistance to to the boys down at boys and girls down at Viri. And the
4: other thing that might also really help to turn the tide for Honda is this continued rumor that Sauber will be employing them next year. And for me, I have to say, I think it would be brilliant because McLaren would finally have a competitor if they both ran Honda (laughs) engines.
5: Yeah, might give give (laughs) a reason to be in the same. I
2: I just got to interrupt. I beg your pardon, but did Matt Trumpets just say that Sauber could be a competitor of McLaren.
4: Yeah, well, so they both have Honda engines, right? Right now, uh, McLaren is not competing with anyone because your engine is so far behind. At least they'd have someone with the same engine that they could properly claim to have beaten, or not.
2: Well, I'm just thinking of the McLaren f- fans who may become slightly offended, let's say, of seeing those two competing at some equal levels. But so I. Carry, carry on, Summers, I do, pardon me. That's right.
5: I actually see it as partly a good thing, though, because the one of the issues that McLaren have faced is being alone with Honda and not having another team from which data can be pulled from. So having Sabre on board would give them a huge advantage in terms of catching up to the other team because that's another two cars that they've got lapping. It's another two lots lot of data that they'll have to work with and understand and know how to understand what the drivers do in terms of making changes to the power unit uh, throughout a lap so yeah i i think it would be a good thing um it's something that i've mentioned numerous times before i've heard the rumor for a very long time but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a, a reality it just means that there's a rumor circulating
2: right so, so a quick note going back to the prior question uh matt and summers is that um what you would had- spoken about as far as uh, Mario uh, Ilion. Um, I think uh, you may have said something slightly different, but uh, the advantage of Mario being contracted by McLaren um, to help manage that relationship with their engine supplier Honda is that he'd be able to help the the boys and girls at um, Honda's R&D facility in um, Sakura or wherever that is in Japan as well as um, I think concurrently he speaks, um, engine speaks, so to speak, uh, better than most. And so he would be able to keep communicate to McLaren as well as to where, um, how that relationship can be bettered as well. And you had, and I just mentioned that only because you had mentioned uh, very uh, Chatillon or whatever that uh, other facility is uh, at our friend's. Pardon the interruption. Go ahead, uh, Matt.
4: No, nope. I, I think that kind of wraps up our current knowledge of Honda and McLaren. Uh but speaking of rumors, I was gonna say, is the big rumor now is that Giovanazzi might actually be driving for Sauber again. Have we had any update on Verline and his help?
5: I've not heard anything about Verline. Um I think it's been taken on a case-by-case case and race-by-race race situation. You know, I think he'll go to, to the next race, and if he's not fit, he will declare himself as such. Um, I think he needs to make that decision prior to qualifying or prior to P3 to at least give Giovinazzi some more seat time if that's going to happen, um, just because familiarisation-wise, um, it might help um, that, that's That's the only problem that I see with running... Um, a, a third driver in that, that kind of situation
3: We don't seem to be hearing a lot from Verline explaining that injury that's making me a little bit sceptical as well it, it, it seems to me kind of like he might have fallen out of favour and he's been I don't know, is it some kind of punishment? Is it some kind of just, you know, tell everybody that you're injured, uh, Giovanazzi is going to have a little bit of a go you bide your time, if you're lucky son you'll get back in
2: Real quick, you know what, I'll I'll just mention one thing that I saw that may be helpful in our perspective is that former guest of this fabulous podcast, Will Buxton, had mentioned that he was surprised at the compact nature of Fairline's um, training re- regime in order to be ready for these upcoming races, given that he wasn't ready already. And other drivers who did not have to recuperate from an injury where it had more weeks to prepare uh and so he he kind of added that perspective and and I think that's important in that will Buxton is fairly close with a lot of the drivers, probably has a little bit better understanding of what that training regime must be like
5: i also I also think it comes down to 2017 regulations as well. If we'd have been in a 2016 race and that had happened, I think Pascal would have been fine. But having to step up to the G-forces that they're now undergoing for 2017, that's the main issue. The cars have got so much quicker and are so much more physical that its it's had an impact on how he can race.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, we're hearing numbers like eight G's through some of those corners. And if you've got anything wrong with you, you're going to know it very much at that point and and back injuries are the worst for healing. They're very hard to deal with. So, uh we haven't really talked a lot about Ferrari perhaps that's because they've won, but before we jump on to Ross's little club, is there anything that you would like to get out there, anything you're looking forward to other than this rumored new uh cylinder that they've got running?
5: Uh no, I just Ferrari have just done a very good job all rounds. Um that that's my opinion of what's gone down at Ferrari that they've for many years, they've focused too heavily on one particular part of the car and it's come to bite them because they've concentrated on that whilst everybody else has kind of uh, driven off into the distance with looking at everything. So I think it's more of a a holistic approach that they've taken um, under the new guidance that they've got down at Maranello. So yeah, I'm just kind of impressed with how they've managed to turn things around and it's a, a long time coming really. Ferrari have kind of just been in the pack as such and and now they're back at back where they really deserve to be, I suppose.
4: Yeah, it's nice to see them finally turning it around and it's nice to see someone besides Mercedes atop the podium uh on merit and not just because the two drivers decide to crash into each other. Anyway, um you got a plug for a Spanners or a bumper?
3: Wow, I was just keeping an eye on the old time there to be honest. I know Ken, you know Ken gets tired this time of the afternoon over there on the West Coast. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear that that was not a formula one gesture well I'll tell you what speaking of ken where can people find you on the internet ken because you you are very much a conversation starter on twitter you get some great threads going
2: um i'm at vortex modio um uh, on the twitter sphere and that's v-o-r-t-e-x-m-o-t-i-o and um i'm I'm uh, happy to interact with anybody, and I, I try to keep abreast of the interesting questions of the day.
3: And also, it is Ken, a lot of the time, that is on the Missed Apex uh, F1 Twitter account. So if it seems controversial, it definitely wasn't me.
2: <laughs> it's all my fault, I'm sure.
3: Come on, Matt. When are you when are you going to bring this tech bonanza to an end?
2: Well,
4: I as soon as we finish the next part of the show. Oh, okay, good yeah 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 yeah. that's why i asked for the uh bumper you know which one what, what bumper do you want oh it doesn't matter i didn't know if you had one if not i'll just carry on i've totally got Is one i stole totally one from pump- lean
3: angle podcast our sister moto gp show here we go oh i turned my sound down that's the best bumper i've ever heard try again try again try again that's how the young motorbike people do it oh 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 go
4: Okay. I'm not sure where to go after that. But the other big news is, of course, that we're now officially hearing that Ross Braun is putting together a group to prepare for the 2020 regulations. And I will just let our listeners know that it's possible the three of us had a minor and not at all lengthy chat about what might make the sport work better. And As much time as spanners will give us, we are now going to jump into that. And now, first and foremost, and possibly one of the only things that we can see some changes happening in before the new regulations is going to be is going to do with overtaking. And we've heard the turbulent air, which had been around a second and a second and a half in 2016. Most drivers are reporting two or two and a half seconds. They're running into turbulent air. But Is there anything they can do about it under these regulations? What can they do about it under the next regulations? And why exactly is that a problem anyway? Because it didn't used to be a problem and the car still had wings.
5: Right. Okay. So there's numerous questions there to answer, isn't there? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that I've been championing, uh, overtaking working group a technical working group an independent working group for a long time now it was my opinion that the sport really needed that to make enhancements because if you just deal with the strategy group unfortunately you you end up in politics we need somebody to advise the sport and the FIA the direction that the sport needs to take in order to make the show better um, instead of just making willy-nilly decisions on what they think will work so we're going to have a research and development program now uh, the last time that happened was on the lead up to 2009, but the, the there was only half a million put into it. You know, those, that kind of number is just not significant enough to make an impact on understanding the, the true nature of what goes on with these machines and understanding how each of them interact with one another because that's essentially why we have these problems. Because it's all down to the wake, basically, that's been generated by by the lead car, Um you know, we all hear that problem. Oh, we can't get into the into the, the zone what allows me to get to overtake. Summers, I'm
3: so um, gutted for you because you would, you've you been talking to us for ages about the solution to that, which is, you know, sticking these things behind the front wing. And then Craig, Craig Summerfield, Scarbs F1, fantastic bloke that he is, he comes along and publishes it. And now you just sound like you're copying him. But we will vouch for you that you've been talking about that for ages.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, I really like the article that Craig did recently. It's up on his Drive Tribe, drive Tribe account if anybody wants to go and check it out or go to his Twitter account. It's Scarbs F1. or No, sorry, he's now Scarbs Tech. Scarbs he Tech, covers yeah. Obviously more, yeah, covers more than just F1 these days. So, yeah, I, I'd recommend going to check that out. Craig had a very balanced look at the way in which the rules um, could be changed in order to improve the on-track action. But predominantly the problem that we we all talk about is the wake that is generated by the lead car and as i've said these rules were only going to make that worse because unfortunately we've empowered the diffuser and we've also empowered the rear wing and that changes the upwash so the diffuser and the rear wing effectively talk to one another they create aero structures that have to work in unison with one another and if you change their position, which we have for this year, you either strengthen or loosen the, the aero connection.
3: Uh, Paul Wright, uh, on this point asks, does it make sense at the moment for a de facto midfield team to have simpler aero surfaces to limit the loss from following? So could, say, say Toro Rosso just say, well, let's, let's sacrifice out and out performance. And uh, let's just make it so that we can run in the midfield without getting our aero disrupted by by this wake from the cars in front.
5: No, because downforce is king at the end of the day. And the reason that they will always try to pile on downforce because you win by being on the in the corners and putting that power down in the corners. The VMAX is very similar to all, to all of the cars. The only time that we've seen that have a good effect over the last few years was williams but that was at the start of the hybrid era where nobody really had a good handle on how that differential would work so uh, i just don't see that as a plausible option really unfortunately
2: so a quick question for on behalf of our listeners uh, summers why don't you explain vmax and and the significance
5: Uh, what does vmax mean Okay, so VMAX is the terminal velocity of the car. It's the the overall speed that the car can make on a straight, um, depending on how fast it, it, the, the power unit is working. Uh, a lot of the teams can actually go quicker than they actually always do. They will scale the VMAX back in order that they've got more performance throughout the rest of the circuit. It's a, it's a, it's a trade-off.
2: And so, what we're talking about basically is the aerodynamic limit as to how that horsepower that a car has and it can only go so fast, and then it, it's reached its terminal velocity. And then what you're talking about is tuning, then the chassis, the wings, whatnot, to get better performance out of the out of the corners. Uh, to, and even though that they may take away a little bit of the top end, it's still a quicker lap time if they're able to to get more mid-corner speed and and faster exit
5: speeds than right out of the corner. Is that correct? That that's exactly it. Yeah. You you're always going to gain more if you can corner quicker.
4: And and that we saw last year because the cars that were winning regularly, the Mercedes, were rarely the fastest in a straight line or the fastest through the speed traps. So it, it's obvious that the that it's worth the loss in straight line speed to be quicker through the corners. And that's Simply down to the math, because you're going slower in the corners than you are in the straight line. So, percentage wise, every increase is a bigger percentage increase. So, therefore, you gain more lap time. That's but, quite correct. Oh my God. Wait. So wait, then wait, you got that on tape, right, Spanners? You <laughs> said I was correct. I will, I will treasure
3: that for all time. I tell but you what, I wish, summer- I wish we could get on tape the chat room comments, which is saying they play Summer's Bingo. <laughs> and they're saying just Y250 to go. Uh, and they're also suggesting coming up. <laughs> Hannah's also suggesting they might make a Mr. Apex racer review bingo at some point. Hey, for the Summers one, you need to include, oh no, it's all about the arrow.
5: Thanks, Spanners. You're when,
2: when have we heard uh, Summers say to Spanners, that's absolutely correct. I'm really not remembering that candidly. But,
3: Do you but know what I just Ken? If you can't up. say anything candidly nice, don't say anything at all. Didn't your mother never tell you that?
2: Yeah, pardon, pardon me for being candid, Spanners. I apologize. <laughs>
3: Candidly, uh,
2: but <laughs> Summers, I just kind of wanted to follow up on on and, and Matt on on that general concept. Though looking at 2020 and that, um, I, I think really the significant metric that I would hope that Braun and his team would be looking at in regards to the regulations for 2020 is. Um, the the distance behind a lead car that another car can follow through a turn. Uh, and right now, I mean, we had that feedback after Barcelona testing and Albert Park that it's now at two to two and a half seconds. And it had been at, at a second to a second and a half. And we had DRS because it was a second to a second and a half in the turns. So, I don't know the answer to this question, but I would think then the question is, well, where is it that that metric needs to be? Does it need to be a half second, whatever, three quarters of a second or a quarter second behind another car? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to have something like what um, NASCAR had or the, um, I think, IndyCars where you have lead changes, cars changing position multiple times per lap say like on the super speedways i know the indie cars used to do this because the the um, uh, drag cutting through the the drag was uh so um significant that any car that followed another would instantly whip past it uh and so at the end of the day you don't want easy passes but you want what the drivers want and the fans want which is to be able to to race close together and and be able to fight hard to to get that pass.
5: Well, I think there's several things going on there. A lot of the talk that we always get when we talk about changing the way in which downforce is created um, to allow for overtaking is everybody talks about ground effect. That is the silver bullet. We must move to ground effect. This is the thing that's going to make it work better. And I do have a bit of an issue with that because Let's look at IndyCar and what they did in 2015, was it, when they moved to allow the Chevy and the Honda um, aero packages. Now, that was the DW12 that had, for years, allowed the cars to race close together, and it's a ground-effect car. It's not a full ground-effect car, but it has gra- it is predominantly using ground effects to create downforce. Now, as soon as Honda and Chevy were allowed to make more aggressive Downforce packages, they loaded the upper surface of the car. And that then changed the way in which the racing happened. It made the cars much draggier, it made them much more susceptible to the wake. Um, and it was much more there was much more turbulence and it made it difficult for cars to pass now if we say in formula one where we want to move towards ground effects well we're just going to have the same problem that they had in indycar because you have all these upper surfaces that are still then allowed to be changed and modified and that's where we have a problem in formula one it's the turbulence that's created by the cars and we have to find a way to stop that problem
3: yes yeah, banners well, I was just saying, unfortunately, we're out of time and I think we're going to have to draw today's fascinating Tech Time episode to an end. Although, I have good news on that front, Matt. Not only are you very close to being able to produce waffle casts, we have also brought up to speed young Chris Stevens, Rainbow Sparkles, to produce fully and he is ready as a standing producer as well. So, if you're game, lads... I'm happy to put on, you know, midweek waffle casts with uh, no restrictions, no time limits. Just crack on. Talk to your heart's content.
4: Okay. Does that mean we have to stop talking now?
3: Unfortunately, it does because it's a school night tomorrow, as Sandra does point out in the chat room. So, Matt, what are you hocking on the Internet these days?
4: Well, as always, I am hocking my wife's books, Amanda Weaver. A. Weaver writes on the Twitter's. And buy them for your significant other so that they may entertain themselves while you watch the race.
3: And while we're at it, Chris Stevens has been doing a fantastic job on Lean Angle Podcast. Uh, And although we are an independent podcast, we have got a lot of association and friendship and warm, fuzzy feelings to Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. In fact, you can find this podcast on their feed. Some of the other podcasts that we've contributed as a little stable towards Downforce Radio are Lean Angle Podcast with Chris Stevens and Ryan Ferret-Ferris, covering witchcraft of motorcycles. Also, E-Radio Show will be covering the very, very tense and dramatic Mexican e that happened on Saturday. We're going to be recording that tomorrow night, so make sure you find eRadio show in the week. I'll also be on there. I have some savage words for Channel 5 and uh, and some support for Lucas Degrassi. Absolutely epic uh, tactics by Apt Schalfer Racing Team. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, also, we have a comment of the week. Comment of the week now, Matt, I desperately wanted to give it to James Funnel because flattery will give you, uh, will get you everywhere. Spanners, have you ever been a radio DJ? You seem to have the perfect host voice. I'm available for offers. Come give me a ring. But in, in fact, Matt, I think we do have to give it to the, uh, to the, 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 the one that I may struggle to say.
4: I would love to hear you say it.
3: All right. Here we go. I'm going to say it. Evangelios. Etakurikalaikos. McHonda vibrations disturb the space-time (laughs) continuum. I didn't even fail at the bit I was going to fail. McHonda vibrations disturb the (laughs) space-time... Yeah, I should definitely be on radio. McLaren vibrations disturb the space-time continuum. That's why they look slow, relativistically, to our frame of reference. Comment of the Week Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So join us next week when we will be reviewing the Grand Prix from China. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex Tech Time. Matt, I think I, I definitely got away with that.